Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. All right, so I am privileged to bring the word again this week, the second week in a row. And uh, so uh, who knows here what we talked about last Sunday. Now, for those of you in discipleship class, that sounds very familiar because I say the same thing. What did we talk about last week? And uh, yes, heaven on earth, heaven, you get to taste heaven now, praise God. So we were in Revelation chapter 21, and I'm just going to reread one of the passages from there. And that's verse 2. So this is taking place after the old has passed away. The old sky, the old earth, all sin and devil and all that stuff is gone, done away with. Hallelujah. This is our future, praise God. The future of every believer in Jesus. And so he comes up with, God creates a new sky, new heaven, new earth. And that's verse 1. Verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, all arrayed like a bride, beautified and adorned for her husband. He saw the city of God descending out of heaven. And it goes on to talk about God saying that his dwelling is now with men. Hallelujah. Amen. So we talked about that last week. We talked about how these verses... Uh, here that we're reading, we get to partake of them in part now. In part, we get to experience some of these things now. Now, this is the what we're reading here in Revelation is the fullness of it. But we get to taste of it now. We get to experience a little bit of it now through the Holy Spirit, being born again. And so we get to experience some of these wonderful things. Now, he talks about this holy city. And the Bible teaches us that you and I are that holy city. Yeah, that's right. The Bible uses another language. It says, you are the house of God. Right? You are the house of God. And so you and I, as born-again, spirit-filled believers, God dwells in us by his spirit. We are his dwelling place. And so this was a lot of what the, the message was about last Sunday. Does some of this sound familiar? Yes? Yeah? Okay. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to look at verses 8 through 10. You can put that one up on the screen. Oh, it is up on the screen. Look at that. And in the Amplified Classic version too. Just the way I like that. Awesome. So before we read that, just a little bit more review from last time. And we're talking about how, how God lives in us by his spirit and how we are his house. So that's both individually, but that's also corporately, all together. So individually, God lives in you by his spirit, and he's making his home in you. So if he's making his home in you, He's going to be changing some things. Yeah. 
to suit him. Kind of like how when you move into a place, right? You change some things around to make it a reflection of what you like, your style, your things. Well, God lives in you by his spirit. So he's making some changes in you to make, it look, make you look a lot more like what he likes and what pleases him. You know what that's going to look like? Ultimately, Jesus. He's the pattern. He's the prototype. He's the firstborn among many brethren. Oh, there goes the cap. We should be shouting hallelujah about that one. I mean, that's pretty good. The more you get to know the Lord, the more you realize what a miracle that is. There's just something about coming into his presence. It, it has this effect where you see how wonderful he is. You get to experience that. And in the, the light of his presence that way, you also sometimes see, hmm, I'm not like this all the time. But this is, the, this is a good thing. Because when the light shines in you, then what's hidden in darkness is exposed for the purpose of being removed and taken out of the way. And the more that we see him in his light, the more we're transformed to, to be like him. Uh, there's so much effort that we put out trying to be like Jesus or do the right thing. And really, the change in our lives to be like him doesn't come about by our own effort. It comes about because we get to know him. We get to see him. And the light of, his, the light of knowing him, the light of his presence is what causes a change in us to be like him. It's a wonderful thing. So we are the temple of the living God. He lives in us by his spirit. Just if that fact alone were to sink in in any great way in our lives, it would radically change how you live every day. The things that you say and the people that you talk, well, not so much the people that you talk to, but the way that you talk to people, that, that would probably change a whole lot when you realize that God is living in here. He sees, he knows, he hears. And then it would also be an encouragement to you because you'd realize, hey, there's nothing that if God can do it, he lives in here. Guess what? He can help me. And suddenly faith and confidence rises in you because you can face anything that comes your way because God lives in you. It would change a whole lot. <laughs> Hallelujah. It would definitely change a whole lot. So we are this holy city that God has built, is building. And it's not something that's built by our human effort, by the hands of men. It's something that God himself is building, built by the hand of God. If you look over on the little poster that we have there on the wall, that was one of the words that was given concerning by God concerning this church in particular, built by the hand of God. So that's something that his spirit does, that he himself does. So we put that up on the wall because we want to remind ourselves, it's not about building a big building. It's not about, you know, having nice stuff and doing all this. It, it, that's not what it's about. It's about what God is doing, building his life in us, building his son Jesus in us, built by the hand of God. And us together as a body, being built together as a body, built again by him, his work, not our own efforts. There's a lot of effort out there, people trying to do stuff. And, you know, people try and maybe have a measure of success. 
But the thing is, whatever it is that you're building on your own strength, you have to maintain it. Yeah. You got to keep it going. If you don't, you know, that's why people end up coming up with new programs all the time to keep people interested in coming to church, right? They're doing that because they started it. And now people's interests are waning a little bit, you know, and, well, let's try something new. And we'll, we'll do something new to get people interested or to keep people interested. But you see, when God's there, when God is in manifestation there, People are interested. They want to know. They want to be there. You know, there's been times here in church where God's presence has been manifest in our services in such a way that even after we say, be blessed, have a good week, people don't go. They don't want to go. There's just, it's just nice in here. It's just, ah, just peace and joy in this place and a freshness and a life that's here and People linger and talk, but they, they don't want to go. But, you know, eventually you do. The good news is you can take that with you when you go. Right. It's not just here because you yourself are also the temple of God. He lives in you by his spirit. Hallelujah. So people build stuff. Build stuff so that they can remain planted in one spot. Uh, the days, I mean, there are, I'm, I'm assuming there still are nomadic tribes out there, right? But typically, uh, people like to settle down and find a place, and this is where we're going to be, and this is, we're established here, and this is my home, and not moving around all the time. I've moved around a lot in previous years, you know, and I know there are others that have moved around a lot in previous years. And, you, you know, if you're moving often, you don't want to acquire a whole lot of stuff because you have to move that again later, and you know it. So you tend to live lean and tend to live in such a way because you don't want to put down roots and get too attached because you know you're going to have to move again later. You know, I know missionary kids kind of live that way when they're traveling from place to place, and they just learn to kind of adapt to what's going on around them but not take roots anywhere because they don't th they're not going to be there for very long. And so, you know, we don't tend to build stuff if we think that we're moving all the time. And when we do find a place and we're settling down, then, you know, we buy a house. This is my place. I'm planted here. And then we make it ours because that's where we're going to stay. That's where we're going to live. And we foresee us living there for a long period of time. Right? Does that make sense? All right. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11 here, verse 8. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is this, uh, what we call the great hall of faith, where it lists all these heroes of faith that have gone before us. And one of the big ones is Abraham. The Bible calls him the father of our faith. Amen. So in verse 8, it says this, urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place, place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. I like just the very first verse here. He was called and he obeyed. There's a lot to be said. I mean, some simple words, simple sentence. There's a lot in that. Absolutely. There's a lot in that. 
I mean, sometimes the smallest little things like that have the biggest impact in our lives. How many times have you heard God calling you? And how many times have you obeyed? And this is the thing. When he calls us, if we're in faith, we obey. We go where he sends us. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. That's a big commitment. God says, I want you to get up and leave this place, leave your family behind, and you will go to a place I'll show you later. And Abraham didn't say, well, um, I have a lot of stuff here. I'm pretty much planted here and rooted here. My family's here. Um, where are we going? I'd at, le- like least, I'd at least like to know where we're going to go. Can you give me some idea where he didn't, none of that happened here. He just heard God saying, get up and go. And you're going to go to a place and I'll show you where that is. And Abraham said, okay. And that's why he part in part is the father of our faith because he didn't need an explanation. He didn't need to see that. He just trusted God. If God's saying go, then I go very simply. And so he did. He got up and left. Verse 9, prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land, which, is, which was designated in the promise, in the promise, Amplified adds in here, promise of God, though he was like a stranger in a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs with him of the same promise. So you know the story. He, he went, and he went to the place that God said, well, in like 490 years, I'm going to give this to you. <laughs> Gee, thanks, God. I just left Ur and all my family to come to a place, and I'll get it in 490 years from now. Wonderful. Right? You might be a little disappointed. However, Abraham didn't seem to be because Isaac and Jacob also dwelled in the land And yet, it wasn't theirs yet. It was theirs as a promise, but they had not yet taken possession of it. That's so important. They had it as a promise, but they had not yet taken possession of it. Hallelujah. And they lived in the land, but they lived in the land as strangers, even though it was theirs the whole time. That land was the promised land, Canaan, right? We know later on when Israel comes out of Egypt, that was the place that God was taking them to and brought them in eventually, into the land. This is the same land, the same place. But while Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are in that land, to them it's the promise that's far off, not yet. And so while they had not possession of it, they didn't plant and make plant themselves and uh, put down roots, build a house and anything like that. They didn't do that. They didn't do that because it was still a promise. They hadn't taken possession of it. They lived in tents. Can you imagine living in a tent? Take, think, think of your stuff, what you have right now. Living in a tent of no fixed address, 
roaming from place to place. Think of camping. We do that a little bit because we know there's an end to that, right? We go, we, we go out in the tent and we know that we can pack up and go back to the house later. But this is not camping. They were not camping here. This is what they were doing in living. Now, here's why. Here is why Abraham was willing to do this. Verse 10. For he was, Amplified adds in here, waiting expectantly and confidently. He wasn't just tapping his toe impatiently while he was waiting. He was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward, looking forward to the city which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Hallelujah. That's what he's looking for. He was looking for the city that was to come, the one that God builds. He's looking for the permanent dwelling place that God himself is building for him. He would not allow himself to get satisfied with the land that he was in, even though that it was destined to be his. He would not allow himself to jump ahead of what God was doing and try to build himself a house in that land. No, he was waiting expectantly and confidently because he was planning on God building him that house, building that foundation. You see, when you build it, you maintain it. When God builds it, he maintains it. That was part of the promise of of the land of milk and honey. Part of that promise to Israel was, I'm taking you to a place where you will have gardens and vineyards that you didn't plant. You will have walled cities that you didn't put up. You will have an abundance. You'll have wells that you didn't dig. And they called it the land flowing with milk and honey because they said it's as if the land just produces all on its own. In other words, you don't have to work it very hard. It just seems to want to produce fruit and abundance for you. And that's God's way of saying, I am the one taking care of you. It's not by your effort. It's not by you doing all the right stuff. It's because he himself is the one to plant you there and to take care of you, to establish you, to make sure that that city wall is firm and strong and that no enemy can come in. No thieves can break in and steal. They can't come in. Hallelujah. They cannot break in and take what has been given to you by God. Praise the Lord. We're looking forward to the city that is built by God, not by the hand of men. We ourselves are looking forward. See, we're in this place here and now. And the Bible has said that the meek shall inherit the earth. Oh, hallelujah. 
The Bible, if you really read your Bible, you'd be pretty amazed at what it says. Did you know the Bible says all things are yours? Whether life, death, the present, the future, all things are yours. You look around out there and all things are yours as a promise. We haven't come into the fullness of it yet. Just like Abraham, looking around at that land going, Woo, glory to God. Look at what God's given to me. The meek shall inherit the earth, praise God. It's yours. One day soon. But while we are here, we are to dwell in tents. Now, don't take that too literally and sell your house and go live on in Tent City or something like that, okay? It means that you don't live like this is the only thing you're ever going to do. You don't live like today is the only day. You don't live like today and this life is all that I've got. In our hearts, we live in a tent. Which means we can pick up and go whenever God says. Because we're not so firmly invested and planted in this present world that we can't pick up and move when God says go. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow Jesus. It means to live his way while here and now and follow him to heaven when you leave this place and then come back with him when he takes this earth again for himself. In, at this time, the things that we have around us, it's all temporary. There's nothing permanent about it. I mean, you just live a few years and you figure that out. You just leave a banana out on the counter for a while, you'll see that. It's, it's going, and only God is sustaining it. It's so funny that the world looks, at the, they see that cycle, and they come up with all these different ideas of what that is. They see that it dies, and all of a sudden, you know, the grass comes back again. They see it in nature. They see all these things, and they come up with some weird ideas about what that means instead of realizing that it's God who's keeping it alive. Amen. Hallelujah. There is no permanency about anything in this life. No permanency about it. And if we're wise like Abraham, we will not invest our little bit of time that we have here and now and invest it in a life in this earth that is soon to be gone. What a waste that is. You see, I heard Keith Moore say this. He's, he said, your time in the earth, it's the shortest thing you are ever going to do. It's the shortest thing you're ever going to do. In just a few years, to God, it's a blink of an eye. You'll be with him in heaven. Oh, what a wonderful thing. You'll be with him in heaven for all of eternity. I don't think they have clocks in heaven. 
Yeah, they don't have clocks in heaven. Now, there's an appointed time, but only God knows what that is. There is there's no clocks there. Why? Because from eternity to eternity, you might blink and a thousand years has gone by. Eternity. Can you, you, I start talking like that and your head goes tilt, I know, because you can't wrap your mind around that. And it's okay, you don't need to, but you can just trust God and you'll be there to experience it yourself soon enough. So this is the shortest thing you're ever going to do. So why would we waste this time that we have by investing it in something that's not permanent? Why would we do that? You know, who here likes sandcastle art? Anybody else? I don't mind seeing some of that stuff. It's interesting. You see how much time and effort goes into building these elaborate sand sculptures. Hours upon hours. And it's amazing the craftsmanship and the skill that's displayed when they build these sometimes massive structures out of sand on the beach. And we go, wow. And then the tide comes in. And then it's oh, gone. Our lives as believers are not meant to be those elaborate, wonderful-looking sand sculptures. Put all this time and effort into building a life here on the earth, and the tide comes in, and you leave this place. Not meant to be that way. Hallelujah. Not meant to be that way at all. We are to do what Abraham did and look forward to what's coming. Because the next big thing will be the big thing forever. The next big thing will put this earth in its present condition away. And we will have everything new and with God. And that is wonderful. Moses, Moses said in Psalm 90, he said, teach us to number our days correctly so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When you know how short your time is, you live differently. Because suddenly you realize certain things don't matter. And other things matter a lot. Even the world has come to recognize that. They get some sort of, you know, prognosis. I mean, diagnosis from the doctor saying, you know, you've got three weeks. You've got two months. And what do they do? They suddenly reevaluate their life. Because the imminent future of not being here anymore. And they go, a variety of different responses, but usually something is whatever's precious and important to them gets moved to the forefront. It could be, it could be family. It could be, you know, I've always wanted to go to, you know, some other country and vacation there. It could be any of those things. But suddenly the things that seemed to be important before, you know, like watching the World Cup soccer game right now, I'm just teasing the guys at the back there. Suddenly that, that's not as important anymore. 
before you moved your whole schedule around just for the one game you really wanted to see. And now you realize I've only got two weeks. Uh, watching World Cup is not nearly as important as it was before. I've got family I need to see. I've got to get my affairs in order. You know, I've, there are things that I've got to do now because those are the most important. But the thing is, those were always there. Those were always there. It's just that you thought you had more time. You thought you had more time. Lord, teach us to number our days correctly so that we may gain a heart of wisdom and know what is truly valuable in this life. Oh, hallelujah. Believe me, brothers and sisters, you want to know what is really valuable because the things that are gone in a lifetime that have no permanency about them, they're not valuable. The things that last forever, those things are valuable. Those are the things that matter. You and I, as believers, have an opportunity to spend the time that we have building something that remains forever. That counts for something. When you stand before Jesus, he's not going to be like, wow, you did a wonderful job keeping your house clean all those years. He, he's, he's not going to say that. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to add something in here because I can hear the question floating around. We are to be living in a way that's looking forward. Looking forward to when Jesus comes. Looking forward to when we stand before him. Looking forward to our eternal reward. The reward that lasts forever. Looking forward to him. Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're to be looking unto him. Our focus and our attention and what matters, what counts, should be the things that are important to him. The things that are eternal and not temporary. That's where our focus should be. At the same time, we live here in the earth. Abraham still had a tent. He didn't stand out in the open field waiting for God. He still had a tent. He still moved from place to place in the land that God had given him, but he had eventually cattle and all sorts of things. In fact, enough to have an army to fight other armies. So he had some stuff, but he knew what really mattered. And all the stuff that he acquired here in the earth didn't matter. What mattered was the city that God had for him, the place of permanency that God himself would build for him. That's what he was looking forward to. And so it is with you and I. So what I'm telling you is, Don't act irresponsible and run for the hills. I'm I'm telling you that. Don't be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can just let my let myself go, let my house go, let everything go. I don't have to pay my bills. I can just wait for Jesus to come. 
Well, he might rescue either out of the street or out of prison that way, but, you know, and that certainly won't be using your time in the best manner possible. (laughs) So you understand. If we're going to be good stewards of what God has given us, then we ought to do something with it that honors him. Something with it that pleases him and not just ourselves. Because those are the things that will last forever, not the other stuff. It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of value. So by no means am I telling you, hey, you know, don't go out and do Christmas stuff this year because that's just not important. Or I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you don't, don't, you know, invest in something. Don't, you know, if you have a portfolio and you're making some investments, I'm not telling you don't do that. I am telling you put God's things first and make that of more importance than your investment portfolio. Because if he says, I want you to pull that and sow that into, the, into this, this work over here or into the gospel over here or into that ministry that you're not so fixed and firmly planted in your investment that you can't move when God says. So when he moves on your heart to take that and put that, sow that into that work I'm doing over there, you're living in a tent in your heart, so you just say, the tent is struck and away we go. I pull the money and it goes into where God said put it. That's how we're to live as believers. People take your things... They're only things. People take your stuff. It's only stuff. It's nothing to lose your salvation over. It's just stuff. In a little while, it'll just be a pile of ash. So let's not go bragging on who's got the biggest pile of ashes. that's all it will be when Jesus returns, is a pile of ash. The Bible says we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. Cannot be shaken. How should we live then? How should we live when we know what we're receiving? When we know what we're receiving, it'll change the way that we live. When we know what the Lord has in store for us, it will change how you spend your life in this earth here and now. Hallelujah. I was trying to get to another verse, but praise the Lord. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Luke chapter 12, 33 and 34. Now, what we're reading here, or will be reading, is what Jesus had said, part of it he had said, to the rich young ruler. Does everyone, is everyone familiar with that story? The rich young ruler that came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. You know what they are. Keep them. And he said, I've been doing that since I was a boy. And Jesus loved him. He appreciated that he was keeping the commandments. 
Then he said, well, there's only one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Come follow me. Sell everything you have. You will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And the man hung his head and went away. Sad. Because he had great possessions. He was fully invested in his life in the earth. So much so that he couldn't see past it. He was building himself something here instead of living in a tent. So he may have been keeping all the commandments, but when God said, get rid of all your stuff, you'll have treasure in heaven, he couldn't understand the value of treasure in heaven. It didn't mean enough to him. The value of heaven and the treasure in heaven didn't mean enough to him to make a decision to let go of his own stuff. And so... He had asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He got the answer and didn't like the answer. And didn't follow Jesus. And it's a warning to us because in a similar manner, I mean, God blesses us and takes care of us. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. And so we can. But it's a warning to us that we don't look at those things in such a way that we can't let go of them anymore because we're so firmly attached to it. That when God says, sell it all, you'll have treasure in heaven. We can't see the value of heaven and the treasure in heaven. And if we can't see that value, it becomes something that we just, suddenly we don't let go of the things that are in this earth anymore. Is my, is my hope and prayer that the Spirit of the Lord reveal to you the value of what he has for us the value of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. There's even a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 about that. That the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light so that you may know the hope of your calling. In fact, it starts out with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your heart being flooded with light so that you can know the hope to which he has called you, and so that you can know the inheritance that is in the saints. It's what we have in Christ Jesus. And when you know that treasure, the rich treasury of his glory, praise God, when you know that, you see its value. And when you see the value of what is eternal, this temporary stuff doesn't hold any value. You know, if I told you that I could either give you, I, the lottery does this. I'll give you a payout of like, what is it, $250,000 today or something like that. Or you can have $25,000 every week for the rest of your life. What was it called, set for life or something like that? You'd be amazed at how many people couldn't wait week by week. And they just dramatically less over a lifetime because they couldn't look far enough down into the future they could only say what I want I want it now I don't care if it's less at least I get it now that is your flesh talking flesh says that it doesn't see the value of what's down the road it only sees the here and now only and give it to me now whatever I can get you think that's ridiculous. People don't actually do that. Yes, they do. How do you know that? If you've raised kids, you see it all the time. <laughs> you need to save some money. Save money? Why? 
There's this I can have, and I've got enough for that now, and I can do this. You can, but, right? Understand, no, put some money aside and for the future. And you say that because you're older, you've been around longer. You're, you're in their future. You're living what their future is. That's why you say that. God is eternal. And he says to us, don't put value in temporary things. Invest in your future, praise God. Because that will last for all of eternity. That is a good investment. And you would think the rich young ruler would have known that, being as rich as he was. But he couldn't see the investment, the value of it. He could only see the here and now. He couldn't see eternal life. He could only see life today. And us, you and I, let's not get caught in the same mentality of only seeing life here and now. Let us see the eternal life that is ours because that is coming. It is coming fast and it counts for, it, it's everything. And once you're there, you won't have regret. Because there's no regret like that in heaven. You will be happy that you're there. But I'm telling you, what you do today counts for that there. There are some there that have more. But they're not jealous of one another. Can you imagine a world that's like that? It's coming. Where you can have this small little bit and be so excited about what you have. And so grateful, so thankful for the small little bit that you have. And you can see your brother or sister in the Lord and they have this mountain. And you can go, wow, you've got a mountain. That's amazing. Praise God. And you're not going, oh, look at my little thing that I've got over here. And you don't even do that. Can you even imagine a world that's like that? Because heaven is like that. No comparison. You rejoice and are grateful for what you have. And you rejoice for someone else and are grateful for what they have. And you don't compare. We should have a little of that here and now. Amen. Amen. When you see your brother and sister excel in God and they're doing great, we should go, look at how awesome they're doing in God. Woo! Glory! And be so excited for them. And not turn around and go, well, I'm not doing so well in God. You know, they got more stuff than I do. And it doesn't matter. There's a place for you and I to live where we look towards what's coming. We look towards him who is coming. We see what is of real eternal value. And this verse that we didn't get to read says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of you read ahead, I know it. The things that you hold valuable, your treasure, wherever that is, that's where your heart is. And you can one indicator of where your treasure is is when people try to take it and how you fight to defend it. And then you go, oh, that must be your treasure then. It's the things that you sacrifice to have it. The things that you give up and you spend to have it. That's where your heart is. Examine your life and look. Where are you spending your time? What captures your interest? What are you willing to spend for? Because that's where your heart is. So if our treasure is in heaven, our treasure is, when, is in what God has given us. 
and what we have in him, then we're willing to spend whatever is necessary to walk in it, to experience it, to obtain it. And where our treasure is, so our heart will be also. Hallelujah. These things matter. I'm standing here in front of you today, but I pray that you hear the sound of my voice telling you this throughout the rest of your life. These things matter. And when you get to heaven, you'll either say, ooh, I didn't listen, or you'll say, I listened. Woo! And it matters. As when you stand before Jesus, it's going to count for something, and he's the one in front of whom you want this to count. It's coming. He is coming. Let's be ready. Let's be ready for him when he comes. And not ashamed in his presence when he comes. But bold and glorious and thankful. Confident. Expectant. Waiting. Here he comes. And when he comes, he comes with his reward. Hallelujah. This is our future in Christ Jesus. This is what lies up ahead on the road. This is what's coming. It's for you. It's for I. God is not holding it back. He is helping us along. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that this morning? Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at